Hey, I'm Michael, online pastor at Silverdale Baptist Church, and I'm excited to welcome you to our podcast. Now, after you listen to this episode, I hope you'll stick around for just a moment. I'll be sharing about some resources we have for you, as well as a few things going on at Silverdale right now that we would love for you to be a part of. Now, I really hope this podcast is just what you need today to help you in your relationship with Jesus. Good morning and welcome to Silverdale. If I've not had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Maddie, and I have the great privilege of serving as a part of the team here on our Bonnie Oaks campus. And if you are new, maybe this is your first time here. If you're joining us online for the first time, again, I just wanna welcome you to Silverdale. Hey, listen, over the last couple of weeks, if you've been around, you know, we're working our way through this apologetic series called Reasons to Believe. Now, apologetics are just arguments or defensive, right, or, or reasons for us believing what we say we believe as Christians. And we've asked some of the following questions. We've asked, is there a God? Can I trust the Bible? Can I trust what it says? Is Jesus the Son of God? Is Jesus the only way to God? And they've been so helpful, right, as, as pastor is giving us logical, tangible, physical evidences for those things. And if you missed a week, listen, I'd highly encourage you to go back. You can check it out on our website or our app, but I wanna encourage you to go back in and check those out if you weren't here. But today we're gonna ask what I think is just a little bit of a different question. Today we're asking this, why does God allow suffering? Why does God allow suffering? Now, this is different, I think, to some of the other questions because oftentimes, at least I found, when someone asks me, hey, Maddie, how do you know that you can trust the Bible? It's usually out of a genuine kind of curiosity for things of faith, right? Or, hey, how do you know? Why do you believe that Jesus is the only way or that Jesus is the Son of God? It's usually out of a a curiosity for the things of faith, But what I've learned from experience is that typically when someone asks the question, why does God allow suffering? It's usually from a place of hurt. It's usually from a place of of pain. It's not usually out of curiosity that they're asking that question. And it can take many different forms, right? It can come in many different ways. It can look like this. Why did God allow that to happen to my family? Why did that bad thing happen to that good person? Sometimes it can look this way, right? How can a good God allow bad things like that? Why did God do that to me? And even at times it can look like this. Why didn't God answer that prayer the way that I wanted him to? Anytime we ask, why does God allow suffering or or some version of that question, it's often being birthed in and from a place of hurt. That's why as we navigate this question together this morning, as we look at it apologetically, right? As we try to understand some of the reasoning behind suffering that we experience and that our loved ones experience, I need us to understand something together this morning. That these truths that we're gonna look at, 
They're not truths that can be thrown around carelessly when we don't know what else to say in the midst of somebody's hurt. These truths are are not your truths to share with somebody that you don't have any relational equity with. These are not truths that you can look at someone who's not following Jesus and proclaim this truth over their life if they're not in that place. Because so often we, we do that out of, out of the goodness of our hearts, right? We believe we're doing something good. But these truths are truths that we claim for ourselves that when we find ourselves in the midst of hurt, we believe and we claim these truths as follower of Jesus. And as we encounter people who are in deep, dark hurts, we beg God to make them real in their lives. While those who love and follow Jesus will know these things to be true, if we don't share them carefully with people who don't, we'll often do more harm than we will good. So before we go any further this morning, I want us to pray together because here's what I know. Within the context of this room and those who are joining us online, there are people who are following Jesus, there are people who are not following Jesus, but who are both hurting equally as bad. And what I need you to hear from us this morning, what I need you to to hear me say this morning is if that's you, if you find yourself in a place of hurt this morning, we love you, we care about you, and we're here for you. We're not, I'm not throwing these truths at you and trying to minimize the hurt that you're experiencing. Your hurt is real. Your pain is real. And we wanna acknowledge that but we also wanna point you back to the truth of who God is according to his word. And that's what we hope to do this morning. So would you pray with me? Let's pray together. Father, we do, we come before you so humbly. God, and we ask that in the midst of our hurt, in the midst of our pain, God, that you would orchestrate things in such a way that we can see you, that we can fix our eyes on you. God, we ask this morning that you would speak to us, that we would hear your voice. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. So as you ask this question, why does God allow suffering? Here's the first truth I want you to write down on your outline this morning. It's that suffering points to the existence of a good God. Suffering points to the existence of a good God. It sounds kind of weird, right? How can the existence of suffering, how can the existence of pain and hurt point us towards a God that we say is good and loving? Well, that's a question that's been asked since the beginning of time, pretty much. The Greek philosopher Epicurus once stated this. I want to read it to you. God either wishes to take away evils and is unable, or he's able and is unwilling, or he's neither willing nor able, or he's both willing and able. If he's willing and is unable, he's feeble, which is not in accordance with the character of God. If he's unable and willing, then he's envious, which is equally at variance with God. And if he's neither willing nor able, he is both envious and feeble and therefore not God. However, if he is both willing and able, which alone are suitable to God, from what source then are evils? Or why does he not remove them? Why does God allow suffering? Many others have gone on to say that the reality of pain and suffering are incompatible with the existence of an all-powerful, loving and caring God. But my hope this morning is I can show you that, that pain and suffering actually point us to the reality of a God. See, we can only recognize suffering and pain if we've got something to compare it to. 
Right? We can only begin to understand pain. We can only begin to understand something as bad or out of order if there's something that is good and in order for us to compare it to. We see in Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, that God created the world, the animals, the plants, the trees, the sea, the sun, the moon, the stars, and then he created man. And right when he gets done with all of that, Genesis 1.31 tells us this, and God saw everything that he'd made, and behold, it was very good. The world that God created was good. The relationship that God had with man was good. Everything that he created was good. And part of the reason that suffering is so jarring to us is because we live in a world that isn't what it was supposed to be. Let me try to illustrate it this way for you. Is this a straight line? This is like church participation. Is this a straight line? No, how do you know? Because you can see it, okay? How do you know? How do you know it's not a straight line? Because you know what a straight line looks like. You know this is not a straight line because you know what a straight line looks like. It's kind of straight at least. You've got something to compare this non-straight line to. You know what a straight line should look like. So you know that this is not a straight line. If I was to tell you, hey, this is a straight line, you would think one of two things. Either I've lost my ever-loving mind or I had one too many to drink this morning. I'm a little bit wobbly on stage. One or the other, right? You know it's not a straight line because you know that there's something to compare it to. You know what a straight line is. To say that suffering is evil or unfair. To say that suffering is bad. To say that what the world we live in is bad, to compare nature as it should be to what it is. It's to hold our world up as it is and to say that this isn't the way it should be. This isn't what it's supposed to be like. And if we claim that something isn't what it's supposed to be, that speaks to an ideal. That speaks to a creator. That speaks to intention, right? That goes beyond the realm of us being just a matter of chance, right? If we say and we believe that this is not the way it's supposed to be, that takes us from believing that there was just this collision one day and these things got together and all of a sudden humans were birthed out of it. It takes us beyond the realm of chance to believe that something's not the way it should be points us to the existence of a God. Suffering points us to the existence of a creator. But I wanna take that just one step further for us because how does suffering point to the existence of a good God? The Catholic philosopher Peter Kreef would say this, how can a mere finite human be sure that infinite wisdom would not tolerate certain short range evils for more long range goods that we couldn't foresee? to God's willingness to end suffering, his ability to end suffering, and his love, one must add God's wisdom. As God is infinitely wise, as Christianity holds, we cannot as finite beings expect to reason out all of his choices. Oftentimes, we don't know, we can't see, and we don't understand what God is doing. As parents, we often have to do things for our kids that they don't understand, right? I remember when our oldest son Preston was born, we had to take him to his pediatrician to get some shots, right? And 
we were probably a little bit later in that process. We had to stay in the, in the hospital a little bit after he was born. But I remember we loaded up the car and we went to the pediatrician's office and he's in his car seat and we carry him in and we're all proud, right? And you know, we've got him on the arm and we get him out of the car seat and he's in his cute little onesie and he's got his little hat on that has his name embroidered on it. You know what I mean? He looks real cute. And we pull him out and we'll hold him and everyone's ooing and ahhing and he's so cute. And then we, we take off his onesie and his little arms stretch out a little bit, you know? And again, everybody's just cooing over this kid. And then all of a sudden, this sweet nurse walks in with this two inch long needle and she's about to jab it into his arm and World War III breaks out right there in the room. Now, why do every, most every first time parent traumatize ourselves with that experience? Because we believe that it's for the good of our kid. Because we believe that that momentary suffering or that potential fever for 24 to 48 hours after he's had the shots, we believe that that is for the good of our kid, right? He doesn't see it. Preston in that moment had no earthly idea that this thing was actually for this long-term good. All he knew is in this moment, someone jabbed me in the arm. So what do we do? We pick him up. And by our words and our actions, we begin to shush, shush. you're okay, we'll pan him on the bottom. And essentially what we're saying is, hey, you can trust me, it's okay. Daddy's got you, mommy's got you, it's gonna be okay. We do things that may cause momentary suffering because we believe there's a long-term good. Now follow me. So what if you don't understand what God is doing in your life right now? What if you can't see what God is doing? If there's suffering and hurt in your life, what do you do when you can't see what God is doing? You trust what you know. And what we know about God and what we know about his character based on the truth of God's word is that he is good. When God created the world, he said it was good. It was Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden that introduced sin and suffering to the world. It wasn't God because when God creates, he only creates that which is good. And God is never changing. He's the same today, he's the same yesterday, he's the same forever. And scripture te clearly teaches us that the God of the Bible is a good God. Suffering points us to the existence of a good God. Your suffering, your hurt, points to the existence of a good God. Here's the second thing that I want you to write down. Let suffering points to our dependency on God. Suffering points to our dependency on God. Go ahead and turn to 2 Corinthians 1, verses eight through nine with me. As you turn in there, suffering points us towards a dependency on something outside of ourselves. Maybe you're like me, you find yourself saying this before. You've seen something that somebody has experienced, something that they're going through, and you find yourself saying this. I don't know how they do that without Jesus. I don't know how they're gonna make it through this thing without God. I don't know what they're gonna do without fill in the blank. And what are we saying when we say that? We're saying that in and of ourselves, we don't see, understand, or appreciate how somebody has the capacity, the strength, the understanding, the emotional ability to navigate deep, hurtful suffering. Suffering leads us through, it produces in us a dependency on something else to help us get through that time. Now what I'm not saying 
is that everybody who experiences suffering will look to God to help them get through their hurts because you know that's just not true, right? We both know countless people who in the midst of deep hurt have turned to something other than God. Maybe it was drink, maybe it was drugs, maybe it was relationships. We know people who in the midst of their hurt have thrown themselves into their hobbies or into their work in an effort to cope, right? Suffering produces in us a need for something that often can't be found in and of ourselves. Maybe you've been in that place personally before. Not where you're looking at somebody else and saying, I don't know how you're gonna get through that. But where you're looking in the mirror and you're saying, I don't know how I'm gonna get through today. I don't know what I'm gonna do next. How do I endure life without this person? How do I get through not having this job? How do I tell my wife? How do I tell my husband? I don't know what I'm gonna do. And in 2 Corinthians, the apostle Paul is writing a letter to the church in Corinth. And a lot of this letter, it leans towards helping the church understand suffering. And Paul does this to them by explaining some of his own suffering. Look at verses eight and nine with me, it says this. For we don't want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction that we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our own strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. So let's pause for just a second. We don't know exactly what affliction Paul is talking about. We don't know exactly the extent of his suffering and what it was, but he does tell us two things. The first is that he and whoever was with him didn't have the capacity in and of themselves to deal with their suffering. Look at this again. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength, so much so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we received the sentence of death. Their suffering was so severe that they knew they had to look outside of themselves to deal with it. Their suffering was so severe that they thought that they would die. And maybe some of you have felt that way before. Maybe it was a physical suffering that you were certain would end in death. Maybe it was a a cancer experience that you had no idea if you were gonna make it or not. You were certain that you were gonna die. Maybe it's some sort of emotional suffering and you felt like the only way out was to die. Maybe it was loneliness and depression and you were convinced the only way I get through this, the only way out of this is the end of my life. Maybe some of you yourself have despaired of life itself. Paul gets it. More often than not, the person sitting next to you has no idea. That's what I love about the Bible. Is there are men and women in scripture, Jesus himself, who understand your hurt and your pain. And Paul gets it and look at what he says. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God, on God who raises from the dead. Paul's suffering was so severe that he needed to depend on, rely on something outside of himself and what he depended on was God. Who he depended on was God. And he wasn't just dependent on God to remove his suffering. He wasn't dependent on God to get him through his suffering. Paul has his hope firmly set on the God of the Bible who he believed that even if this affliction was to kill him, that God could raise him from the dead again. 
The God had arranged in his sovereignty and his power Paul's suffering in such a way that it created a dependency on him. God wants to use your suffering to create a dependency on him. Again, that's not to minimize your hurt. That's not to minimize what you're going through. God wants to use the situations in your life to create a dependency on him. Here's the last thing that I want you to write down, that God uses our suffering. God uses our suffering. In his sovereign power and ability, God is able to take the deepest, darkest, and most difficult parts of our lives and he can use them in such a way that good can come from them. Now to be clear, right? I'm not saying those things are good. I'm not saying that you'll get to the end of it and you'll be like, yeehaw, let's do it again. But what I am saying is that I do believe the God of the Bible, I do believe what it says in scripture, that God can and use those things for good, right? Your spouse walking in and saying, hey, I have an affair, I want a divorce, I don't love you anymore. That's not good. Cancer's not good. Having a stroke is not good. Losing a loved one is not good. And those of you that have been through those things, you know in and of yourself, you don't want to do those things again. Never mind doing them the first time. Not saying those things are good, but what we are saying is that scripture teaches us that God can use them for good. Romans 8, 28, and we know that for those who love God to the Christ follower, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, that God can take the suffering of the believer and arrange it in such a way that good will come from it. And listen to me, it's not just some ambiguous good. It's not some like, where you just standing, I just hope that one day it's gonna be good. God promises to use it for your good, for the good of the believer. John Piper would say this, not only is your affliction momentary, but all of your affliction is light in comparison to eternity and the glory there. And all of it is totally meaningful. Every millisecond of your pain, every millisecond of your misery in the path of obedience is producing a peculiar glory you will get because of that. I don't care if it was cancer or criticism, slander or sickness, it wasn't meaningless, it's doing something. And he's referencing what Paul says in Romans 8, 18. It says this, for I consider the sufferings of this present time, what you are experiencing now are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. God is gonna use the suffering in your life for your good. For your good. Over the last couple of weeks, I've gotten to spend some time with some friends of mine who have experienced suffering and hurt and pain. And as we've navigated these last couple of weeks, as we've had different conversations, we've talked about suffering and what God may be doing and the reality that a good God is using their suffering has been so evident. And they talked about three ways in which God uses our suffering and I wanna share those with you. I wanna share with you that people we know, people we love who've experienced great suffering, what they say and believe about the God of the Bible and how he uses their suffering. Here's the first thing. You can write these down on the bottom of your right line. He uses it to make us look like him. God uses our suffering to make us look like him. The process of being made to look like Jesus is called sanctification. 
right? And God uses things in our lives. He uses suffering to sanctify us, to make us look like him. So real practically, what does it look like in your life? Well, in the midst of your suffering, maybe you're learning to be more kind, more gentle, more gracious, more like Jesus. Maybe in your suffering, you're learning to serve others. Maybe your priorities are changing. Maybe you've got a a new perspective on situations. That's sanctification. That's growing to look more like Christ. God is gonna use our suffering to make us look like him. We've already talked about this, but here's the second thing. I want you to write this down again. God uses suffering to create a dependence on him. He'll use our suffering in our lives to make us look like Jesus, but he'll also make us want Jesus. He'll make us desire Jesus. He'll create in us a dependence for Jesus. We will grow to learn more and more that in and of ourselves, we cannot do life alone, that we need Jesus. He'll use it in us to create a desire to hear the voice of God in and through the word of God. He'll create in us a dependence on him. And lastly, God uses suffering to lead us to him. God uses suffering to lead us to him. He uses our suffering to lead us and others to him. Listen, contrary to what culture, contrary to what society and even some parts of the church wanna tell you, this life is not about you. Listen, it's the hardest thing to tell you this morning. But your suffering is not about you. The pain and the hurt that you're experiencing, it's not about you. There's a much bigger picture. Your suffering is not about you. God created the world. He created us so that he can be glorified and God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in him. So God will use suffering in our lives. He'll use our brokenness. He'll use our hurt to lead people to a place where they find satisfaction in him and him alone. It's never been more evident than it was at the cross. The most brutal of executions, cruel and inhumane torture, spitting and mocking, humiliated for all to see the most innocent of men, the spotless son of God was killed in order to lead you and I to God. He suffered so that we didn't have to. He suffered so that we could get to God. God himself suffered so that we could be in relationship with him. That's the gospel, that the suffering son of God gave his life, experiencing the death that should have been rightfully ours so that we can walk in relationship with him. God uses suffering to lead us and lead others to him. So what do we do in the midst of our suffering? We remember Jesus. We remember the gospel and there's no better way for us to do that church than by taking communion together. See, in the midst of your hurt, in the midst of your pain, there's no better way that I can point you to the truth of who Jesus is than to remind you of what he did and what he did for you and what he did for me. Hopefully you've already got the elements as you came in. If you don't, you can slip out and grab those at any moment. But the bread right here on the top, it represents the body of Jesus, which was broken for us. And the juice represents the blood of Jesus, which was shed for us. And one of the reminders of communion is that we can't do this life on our own. 
that we're dependent on God, that I'm too weak to persevere in my own strength, that in the midst of my hurt, in the midst of my suffering, I'm dependent on Jesus. I need Jesus. I need him to fill me with his life. I need him to fill me with his power. I need him to fill me with his love. And when I'm suffering, when I get to the place where I'm tempted to quit, where I'm ready to throw in the towel and say, I can't do this anymore, God. On those days when you look in the mirror and you ask yourself, how am I gonna get through today? How are we gonna make it today? We're reminded that I need Jesus. And I'm gonna make it through today because of Jesus. I'm gonna make it another day because of Jesus in me. And the Bible teaches us that before we take communion, that we're to examine ourselves. So we're gonna give you just a little bit of time to do that this morning here in just a moment. And as you do that, I want you to ask God to speak to you. Listen, there's no bigger fan here of a pastor than me. I love coming to hear him preach the word of God. My life has been changed because of our pastor. I love worshiping with Clayton and the worship team. But if we come to hear Tony or worship with these guys, then we're missing the point entirely. We gather to hear from the King of all kings and the Lord of lords. And we believe with our whole hearts that as you sit in your seat this morning, you say, God, would you speak to me? That he will do exactly that that the King of Kings, the God of the universe this morning would speak to you. And maybe you sit in your seat and you say, me, he'll speak to me. Yeah, he'll speak right to you this morning. And maybe he'll encourage you. Maybe he'll tell you to, to press on and keep fighting the fight. Maybe he'll come around you and comfort you this morning. Maybe he'll convict you and call you to a place of repentance, of turning from your sin. But God will speak specifically to you this morning. So I'm gonna pray for us and then that's what I want you to do. I want you to ask God, God, would you speak to me this morning? And then be still and listen. Let's pray. Father, we do, we come before you so humbled and grateful that, that we get to speak to you. God, that you hear our prayer and you answer us. God, and we ask that even now, God, that you would speak to our heart. You know us, you know where we're at, you know what we need. So God, we ask that you would speak to us this morning. It's in Jesus' name.
the night before Jesus' death. He knew that he was going to be betrayed. He knew what was going to happen. He knew what he was going to endure on the cross. And he sat in the room with some men that he loved. And I got to believe that as he instituted communion, he looked around the room and his heart welled with love for these men. But I also got to believe that in that moment, he was thinking about you. He knew what he was about to do was for you. And he instituted this reminder. He took the bread and he said, this bread represents my body, which was broken for you. And by eating it, we're saying, Lord, I receive you. Your body was broken so that I can be made whole. So take and eat. God, we thank you for your body, your body that hung on a cross in our place for our sin. God, we're thankful for the body that was broken that makes us whole. The body that suffered so that we could be comforted. God, thank you. And next he took the fruit of the vine and he said, this represents my blood shed for the forgiveness of your sin. Life is found in the blood. And by drinking this juice, we're saying, Jesus, I need your life. Fill me with your spirit. So take and drink in remembrance of Christ. Father, thank you again so much for the blood of your son, Jesus, that washes as white as snow. that in the blood we find forgiveness for our sins as your word teaches us without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness of sin God we're grateful for our forgiveness God we're grateful for what you accomplished on the cross for us and it's in Jesus name that we pray Amen Well I hope this was helpful to you if while listening you realized you need to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus we would love to help you with that you can connect with us by clicking the link in the show notes to our website and then clicking the connect card button In our weekend worship services, we are in a sermon series called The Seven Commands of Christ. Jesus gave dozens of commands, and as followers of Jesus, we should obey all of them. Over the next several weeks, we are focusing on seven that will change your life. We would love for you to join each week at one of our campuses, or you can attend online. You will find service times by clicking the link in the show notes to our website. You know, there's so many ways for you to get involved and be a part of what God is doing here at Silverdale, and we really want you to feel welcome and a part. So please stay connected. Be sure to like and follow us on the different social media accounts. You'll find all the links in the show notes of this episode. And lastly, help us spread the word about this podcast. Take a moment to share this episode with your family and friends. Again, we appreciate you listening and hope you will join us again next time.